If you would, take your Bible if you have it. As we said, we are launching, uh, turn to 1 Timothy this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to spend a month uh, talking about the value, the significance, and the importance of the body of Christ. Uh, this particular Sunday, I'm going to focus in on the concept of the value of belonging. We're going to move from there. Pastor Ben is going to come next week. He's going to bring us uh, a perspective of the value of discipleship. And Pastor Andy's going to come and talk to us about the value of the next generation. Then I'm going to come back at the end of the month and finish off with uh, what does the body of Christ, how does it make a difference within community and why that is so significant, the value of the church in the midst of the community at large. But this morning we're going to park on the value of belonging and for a whole month we get to talk about one of my favorite subjects in the entire world, the church. I don't know about you, but there is something special that happens when the body of Christ gathers, right? There's, there's just something unique about it. And of course, uh, we're not foolish because we're, uh, if you're here and you're a believer and you've, you've repented of your sins and you've asked Christ to be your Savior, that uniqueness is found because there has been a heart change. And you love to see other people who have that kind of change. But think about it for a moment with me how important it is to belong. Now, there's something very unique about it. In some sense, when you think about it in a, in a larger context of the culture, there's something special to belonging to a particular group, is there not? Think about it, for example, you've got various people that are belonging to the same kind of sports club or sports endeavors or teams that they happen to be on, soccer, you know, basketball and softball and you name it. Or there could be some, uh, of course, when you get older, you have to go on to the adult league, which you can have to play one time a week and recover the rest of the week. But you're still on a team and you feel like you were there. You're back there in the day, but you belong. When you show up on the field or at the court or wherever you happen to be, uh, all of a sudden there is some uh, excitement Perhaps it's, even, perhaps it's even some kind of academic club and belonging. There's a certain similarity that you possess with other people, that you learn about the same things and you enjoy it. Could be history, could be all kinds of different things that you, you enjoy learning. Or some kind of similar organization, nonprofit community that you just simply enjoy pouring your life into. We know what that feels like. But what does it feel like when you don't belong? Have you ever had that perspective? In fact, I think we get the value of what it is like to belong when you begin to experience the other side of it when you, when you don't feel like you belong. All of a sudden, when you walk into a place, perhaps that was you here and this was your first time here, and you're thinking, I don't know anyone. We're going to change that, so hang tight. But the reality is you feel that that little bit of tension like, oh, I don't know anyone. I feel like I don't belong. Perhaps you're new. We're new to the area. My kids are new to a school. You walk into a, a whole grouping of people and all of a sudden you feel like no one knows you. What happens all of a sudden when that allows itself to take hold in your life and all of a sudden you are all by yourself and you don't know what to do and you sit by yourself and you wonder to yourself, 
uh, all kinds of things start traveling to, to your mind and you begin to ask, is there something wrong with me? Is, 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 does no one like me? Do, is, there, is there something that I stand out differently? I don't know, will I ever, have, will I ever feel like I belong? Pretty soon that feeling of a lack of belonging turns into an isolation of various sorts in different ways and they begin to ask themselves other questions like why am I here? What am I doing? Is there even purpose for me to be here? And if I was gone, would anybody even know anyway? See, there's something that is so incredibly valuable in the body of Christ. When you walk into a church family and you are part of the household of God and you belong, not because of some special thing that you possess, because that's nobody here. And if you're new, uh, this is... This is, not, this is a special group of people because there's a special God who regenerated people's hearts here. Outside of themselves, they could do nothing, and yet, by God's grace, he did something, and he made us belong together. And that is a beautiful thing. When we come to the body of Christ, and you may notice, as Andy uh, so uh, expressed this morning, we are a church of sign-ups in the fellowship area right now. Why is that, you might ask yourself? Because we are a church that desires you to belong. Those are multiple opportunities out there for you to belong to a group of Christian community, grow together, cry together, rejoice together, learn together. You show up in the room, they know who you are, they know what you've struggled with. The body of Christ ought to be that way, and in fact, I think that was the intended purpose of Jesus Christ sacrificing himself for the sake of the church. Notice in verses like this, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, he, he says this, and, and they'll put it up before you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for all are one in Christ. Or perhaps Ephesians 2, 19, where he goes on and the Apostle Paul says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Oh, there is coming a day, church, where we are going to be raptured and taken home to be with him, and there is a place when you get to the entrance of the gate of heaven because of your regeneration and the work of Christ and your repentance and faith in his work on your behalf. Those gates will open to you and you will belong there for eternity. You will never wonder why, you, you will never ask the question, do I fit? You will never have to wonder about, does it matter what I'm wearing? You'll never have to think about what you look like, because you're going to look far better than you look right now, okay? Praise God for all of us. We are thinking, I want that new body. There is something, and we will belong. There will be a new body. There will be a new essence of who you are. The resurrected Christ made this possible. He made belonging possible because of the work of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that there would be not Jews over here and Greeks over here and slaves over here and 
he made them, he made the body of Christ to be interwoven into the masterpiece of God. And church, in a small slice of what we will experience in eternity, this is what you have before you today. Alongside of each other, people who have repented of their sins, who have loved Jesus Christ, who have called by his grace, by the work of the Spirit. And we desire to have a sense of belonging. And we love it as people are not only adopted into the family of God, but they are instituted into the body of Christ. And I would just encourage you, I make no apologies about it. I'm not taking a shot at you if you think I've been here a while and I've yet to become a member, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to warn you right off the bat. We want you here. Why? Because there are, there are all kinds of ways in which the body of Christ is used in the life of one another. And if you are here and you're thinking, maybe this is where God wants you to land, that means perhaps that we as a church are deficient of something that you bring that could sharpen us in a way that will glorify our King in heaven in that much more of a majestic way. We desire for you to belong, not just in a sense of attendance, but in acceptance. Accepted by God, accepted by the people of God. And that is our focus this morning as we think about this particular main idea as we walk uh, through this short text in 1 uh, Timothy 3.15, that believers who belong to the household of God are living examples of God's wisdom and beauty in a world filled with chaos and confusion. Now that's a little small. Let me read it again. Believers who belong to the household of God are living examples of God's wisdom and beauty in a world filled with chaos and confusion. See, there's something that is more unique than when you go to a, a cultural institution or workplace or some other entity of business. Here... There is a commonality, not just in business direction, not just in business goals, not just in a profit, but there is, there is commonality in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we look, let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 3, and just before we get there, let me just say this, just from a way of background. If you've never studied uh, any of the pastoral epistles, and you begin to think, okay, who's this Timothy guy? We talked a little bit about him in the book of Philippians. Uh, companion of Paul, right-hand man, son in the faith. Now, having been left in the city of Ephesus, which was this incredible metropolis of people filled with business, filled with pagan idolatry in so many ways in Asia Minor that Paul felt confident to leave Timothy and then write to him, and I can understand why he's writing these things. Because this is a really challenging community of believers in a really challenging cultural context. Okay, we don't, we don't go and, and drive by, hey kids, look at the great statue of Artemis uh, of Diana. <laughs> like, oh wow, it's more like kids turn your head. <laughs> we don't want to watch things as we're walking by in this city. There was debauchery, there was filth, pagan idolatry, immorality on every turn. And yet here in the midst of that cultural chaos and confusion, what do you have? Paul writing to Timothy, the faithful son in the faith, servant of God, 
pastor at Ephesus to say, Timothy, be strong. I know it's chaotic, but there is a household of God, of the living God, who, re who resides here, and I want you to do ministry. And that's where he picks it up in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, 14 and 15. He says, I hope to come to you soon. Paul is at the latter end of his life, and he desires to come back, but he wasn't sure if that was going to be possible. But he said, I'm writing these, these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And he continues this section to say, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And he goes through this text to say, how is it that you can have a church of the living God, the household of God, in the midst of pagan idolatry and chaos and confusion, and yet in the midst of it, there's this blossoming community of believers who belong together and who love being together. Now let's take a look at our first point this morning, belonging to the family, the acceptance and accountability. Notice a couple of things about this idea of belonging. One, it's not just inviting people to come into to something that is fictitious, something that it, we can try to conjure up some feelings like we belong. And I think it, it begs the question, if, if you think to yourself, how do I get to belong in the body or the household of God? Well, one, it really takes a heart change. No one is just simply, we are not universalists here, that all of a sudden that somehow Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, was somehow a universalistic statement to say, now all people are saved, they're just getting there from different uh, venues and they're all coming to the same place. No, we don't believe that because the scriptures do not teach that. The scriptures teach that there is one way and only one way, and it's through the Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But it just doesn't stop there at the grace of salvation. It continues with the grace of sanctification as well. Which is exactly why, by the way, he says, if I delay, Timothy, I want you to know how to behave. <laughs> now, this is one of, the, one of the blessings of being in the context of community. That there are checks and balances. He calls this environment the very household of God. The very, uh, uh, the, the, the terminology in the Greek, the oikos, the house. Now, there's a lot of different ways to translate that, but I think, I think the ESV and many other good translations get it right to describe it as the household. Now, if we just said that, that this is the house, I think we would somehow misrepresent or misportray the reality that somehow it's a building in and of itself. Okay, we love the fact that we have a building. We love the fact that we, we have uh, places to minister, things to go, children's ministries and rooms to go in and nursery workers and nursery rooms and all of those things. But the church is not a building in a concrete sense. It is you. It is I who have been bound together by covenant, by the, by the regeneration of the living God who brings us together and then declares here is a household of God in a very local sense. Now, all believers worldwide at any one particular point right now, we would describe as the universal church, but every location, just like as Timothy was the pastor here in Ephesus, there were 
letters that were written to local assemblies because every place had different challenges and they wanted a place for all Christians who came to faith in Christ to belong to the closest uh, perspective of their own community that they would say, ah, I'm going to find a church in my area. Now, let me pause for a minute because, you know, perhaps you're, you're thinking, you know, have you, ever, have you ever looked for a church? Perhaps if you, maybe you haven't looked for a church for a long time. And some of you are thinking, we're in it right now. We need to pray for people who are in this circumstance. This is not easy. You realize that there's various components of like church buffet in our culture. You realize that, right? So you go online, you try to figure it out. Do they stand for this? What do they stand for? It is a process that as new people come in, Yes, we want, if God wants you to stay, we want you to stay. But we recognize that we're not a perfect church, and we are not the only church that preaches the gospel. And aren't you thankful of that? That we're not just some isolated community, that we're the only ones doing something. No, there are people who are teaching the gospel. Praise God for that. I want to be a little biased as your pastor to say something unique about this place. Okay? And there is something unique every time we come together where we love each other and we care for one another, and that is what he describes as the household. I mean, could you imagine what, I, what your house would be like? And I, I lived this for a while. I don't want to go back there for quite some time. Uh, to live in a house without your family. When you're used to going back and hearing people laugh and, and enjoying dinner together and sitting around a table. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you how I got through it. <laughs> it was this body. From March till June, invited to someone else's table, invited to go out to eat with someone else. Why? Why could, it, was like, it was like having a new family and getting, getting to know them all. Now, I haven't gotten to know them all yet because I would be much larger at this point than I am. <laughs> okay. But it has been incredible seeing the life of the body at work watching them interact with each other, love and care for people. There's something, what would, what would a house be without the household? What would a church be without its household of members and people who belong together? Now notice these very special terms that he uses in 1 uh, Timothy 3 and verse 15. So that you ought to be, know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church, the ecclesia, of the living God. It's, why is it? Because you belong if you are called out. That's the idea. You're, you belong when you've been called out. That's the idea. Is the ecclesia, is the, is the New Testament word for the church. Ones who have been called out by God, drawn by the Spirit of God, so that they can be a unique, a unique community of God. Very specific instructions. Why is the household important? Because to belong means that we have to hold one another accountable. Keep each other in check for the conduct that Christians ought to have and behave. Do you notice this? In Acts chapter 14, I'll have him show it for just a moment, but I've just underlined a couple of, uh, a couple of phrases in Acts chapter 2. And, it's, and uh, I want you to notice specifically in verse 18. He says, and here is Paul recounting his story, coming to faith is now the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and in verse 16 he says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, 
to appoint you as servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering you, uh, de delivering you from your people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. Now notice this. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. From the very earliest stages of the New Testament church, when people are saved, what are they saved from? If you're here this morning and you are not, if you have not yet repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, what this text is telling you is that you are bound in your darkness. Your heart is darkened by sin. And the only way for that darkness to turn to light is by the regenerative power of the work of the Spirit when you turn to Jesus Christ and you recognize that his work on the cross was for you and you confess that you're a sinner and you need his salvation by faith. And you say, I could never do for myself what Jesus Christ has done for me. And you pray that prayer and, and you do what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God had raised him from the dead, don't you just love this, you will be saved. And believers, if you're in that status and you're in that, that you've been adopted into his family, you're saved. Saved from the wrath of the Almighty, who in his justice and love is coming to bring judgment. You can belong. You can turn from the power of Satan, but his grip is strong. He desires to deceive you. But he doesn't just desire to deceive people to keep them from coming in to the family of God. He even loves to desire to deceive people who come into the family of God, but don't walk and behave in a way as if they belong. As if you could just be part of a church and they're like, good, I've checked that box. Now I can do whatever I want. We as the body of Christ, and if you desire and think, hey, this is where maybe I should belong, let me just put a disclaimer, okay? We love one another enough to go after each other and rescue each other from the deception that Satan may bring into any one of our lives at any time where he would lead us astray and where we cannot see where, we, where, where what we once loved and appreciated and belonged. We love each other enough to care, to go after each other and help each other, even when it's difficult. It's a place of specific instruction. I love it when he says this statement. That's, it's not just a, a, a house. It's the household. It's the, it's the called out ones of, of who? Not just anybody, believers. It is the living God that we serve. You know what? That statement was all throughout, plastered all throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you one particular occasion in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Do you remind, you remind yourself of this story of David and Goliath when all of a sudden he comes out into the midst of that valley of Elah and all of a sudden you have this gigantic Philistine dressed to the hilt in armor, and little shepherd boy David coming out with a sling. Like, I mean, I just have to think to myself, this was so comical. I mean, what is he out there like? What do I got? I got a couple of rocks. I got a sling. <laughs> okay. But that wasn't his mindset, was it? 
all the rest of the people of Israel were shrunk back in fear, even the king himself. The king wouldn't, was not at a point where he would fight them. And they were looking for a man who would fight. And as Goliath came out time and time again to mock the children of Israel, now David comes out and says statements like this. How dare you taunt the armies of the living God? Believers, I know there is so much going on culturally that we feel assaulted at every turn. In a culture that has been given control to the prince and power of the air, he's deceiving people by the multitudes, by the millions. He is desiring to corrupt everything and anyone who claims allegiance to the king of kings. But believers, we are part of the household of the living God who can stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes that he throws at you, the deception, the discouragement, the anxiety, all kinds of things that the culture is doing, political environments, strongholds of various kinds, debauchery on every immoral corner. You can only just turn the news on and watch it. Our God is the living God of which he has planted the household of faith in the midst of a culture. Why? So that we shine as lights in the midst of this corruption. So that they see us and see churches worldwide and say there's something different about these people who belong to the church and the household of the living God. This was so significantly and important that even in the idea of the elders in 1 Timothy 3 to be qualified, it says something like this. If you can't manage your own household, you can't manage the household of God. That's how significant the testimony of the church of the living God is. But guess what? It's not just the elders that protect the church of the living God. It's every single member, every single believer, every single chapel member, every person who calls themselves part of this assembly, that we go out and we shine as lights. How, how dangerous would it be or how, how, how terrible would it be if all of a sudden we come to people who knew other members of this body and said, oh, you know them and they go to church with you? I would have never thought based upon what tends to come out of their mouth at work. We are a microcosmic perspective of the church of the living God. Don't forget it, because if you're, if you're a believer, this is where you belong. Let me just address a couple of questions as we think about this. Because these often come up when it comes to belonging. I've often had, in pastoral ministry, someone come to me and say, but pastor, I don't see thou shalt be a member in the New Testament. So do I really have to belong, or can I have a belonging of my own making? Well, let's try to answer that. Is it really just this idea, which so many people get to, and I've heard this over and over again, of course, according to Matthew chapter 18, in a context that we understand as the church rescue mission or church discipline, but it is a rescue and restoration mission, this phrase that is often said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Can I tell you 
How many people over the years have said to me, Pastor, see, as long as two of us are out in the woods, we're going to have church while we hunt. It's just, they're in a tree over there, and I'm in a tree over here. Or we just happen to be in the same boat. And, you know, it's like a little boat service. Oh, how nice. <laughs> is really that what, is that what is going on in, Hebrew, or in Matthew chapter 18 when he says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst? No. That is the promise that you have the presence of the living God in the person of Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit to help in times of conflict. Don't misrepresent even the church. This is not just two or three are gathered together and you can choose where you gather and you can two, three over here and two, three over here. No, there's something special about coming together. This was the whole development of the, the first century church when it came to the day of Pentecost. Well, what about this then? Since we think to ourselves, well, does it really say that I have to belong? Is there a literal membership? Or is it kind of like, hey, psst, I'm in. I'm one of you. Well, no, there was a formality to it. Notice even in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 40, it says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, you have to ask yourself, who were they added to? Is it just the household of God? Is this just some universalistic principle? No, you know what they were added to? The first church that was ever birthed, the church in Jerusalem, that Jesus told his apostles to wait around until the day of Pentecost, and now they would be joined both, get this, notice the structure, they received him, which means they believed, they were baptized for the identification into, into God's family and also horizontally in by being added to the local church. They were constantly added through the life of the first church. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And, and, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You have texts like 1 Corinthians 5, all of a sudden where there was sin in the church. Imagine that, sin in the body? Like they still do that and struggle? They do. Which means in case there is, there's something about being in that when you're doing wrong that has to be addressed because First Timothy says, I want you to know how to behave in the household of the living God. And when you're not behaving according to God's principles, God's commands, and God's moral authority that can only be found right here, then something must be done. And that's exactly what was going on in 1 Corinthians 5. Here you have a man in immorality, and Paul says, put him out of the church. Well, here's a good question for you. How do you get put out of something you were never in? See, you have to be in in order to be out. And even in 1 Corinthians, when he says, and when the whole church gathers, and when it's calling the elders to care for the flock of God, he isn't saying, care for the universal flock. He's talking about a specific group of congregation who have now belonged together based upon their reception of the truth and their baptism into identification with Christ and identification into the body. Belonging meant something. And I would argue that the New Testament, while maybe not explicitly says, thou shalt be a member, principally says they were added to something, 
the flock of God is, 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 is helped by elders who are over something. That is the local church. They know who's in, they know who's out. Why? So you get the kind of care that God wants you to experience in the family of God. That's what he wants for you. But he doesn't just allow you to belong. He also, he also does this. And these two are going to go faster because they're a little bit smaller, uh, shorter in, in our point. So rest assured, we'll make it. Let's talk a little bit about the beauty of the household of God. It's attractiveness. Do you realize that, you know, when you think about the things that are beautiful, things that are lovely and things that you look at in God's creation, and my, my son just sent me a picture. He was up in the far north uh, and saw the northern lights. I mean, you just see this miraculous handiwork of God in the heavens. I mean, the psalmist said that. I look up at the stars and I just, I'm taken back at who I am and, and who God is and how much I need him. Well, see, belonging is just the first part. You, you're accepted and you're accountable to the family of God. Well, here's, here's part of the reason for it. It's because you're supposed to be an attractive individual, spiritually speaking. Okay, that's why he says here in 1 first, uh, first Timothy 3, it is the church of the living God, and let me park on this idea of being a pillar. Now, I want you to notice this particular uh, uh, picture of a pillar. When I was in Israel, we visited uh, a particular city, and Roman cities were known for their architectural design, their beauty, their elegance that would happen to uh, portray the very visual essence of what it meant to be Rome. And every particular Roman city would have here what they would often call the cardia, or the main street of a particular town. And on that main street, you can notice, and of course, many of these have fallen down, and they have erected them back again, but there was a huge colonnade system that as you walked through the main streets of that city and you shopped from place to place to place, you were constantly reminded of the beauty, the ele elegance, and the authority of Rome even if you might be hundreds and hundreds of miles away, that these pillars represented that. Now Paul picks up on this imagery, living in a very Roman first century culture, and he talks about this pillar. You know, there was, there was an element of the pillar. I want you to notice these very tops of the pillars. The pillars weren't just there, by the way, just to hold things up. They were there to beautify the city. And in so many cases... Uh, you could read various historical contexts, and if we, if we just uh, move it to the city of Ephesus, being a very Roman culture, would have cities, they would be covered and plastered in marble, even sometimes gold. Jewels filled the tops of portions of these pillars so that people would walk around and they would just be enamored with the beauty and the elegance of these pillars. And he says, the body and the household of the church of the living God is like a pillar in this sense. They are supposed to beautify the culture in which they live in, even when the culture is not beautiful. And you, as an individual, have to ask yourself and search your heart to say, what does my Christian life look like before God? Does he look at it and say, it's beautiful? The other people in the body, are they helping you shape this, in, in, being shaped in this Christian community so that when the Father in heaven looks at your life and in a sense he sees the elegance and aesthetics of the Spirit's work in you, 
that no one would say, oh, that's so-and-so. They will attribute it to the hand of the living God because we know all of ourselves, don't we? We have temptations to be frustrated, have tones of voice and all kinds of ways in which we become disunified, but when we see the living God working in our lives and it is beautiful, why do you think love in a culture is so powerful? In a culture where it's all about feelings, when in the Bible, love is all about action. Love is all about demonstrating a greater love. And in fact, I would argue that you and I would have no idea what love would even look like if it wasn't for Jesus Christ displaying what genuine love looked like. Because it didn't feel good to hang on the cross, I can tell you that. And he was willing to endure that to be the person who sits at the right hand of the throne of God in beauty and all his glory that was returned to him from before, uh, before he descended to earth to be our savior. I think it begs the question in our life, are we living in a way that we continue to grow in the spirit of our God, that we're adding and we're thinking about our sanctification, where we're thinking about Galatians, uh, and we, we think about the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are you developing them? Don't try to do it all at once. <laughs> Maybe just pick one. Maybe pick a couple. Say, you know what, I want to I represent as part of the household and the family of the living God what it means to be a person whose spirit is filled with the living God. I remember traveling on one of my first missions trip when I was, uh, I flew in Johannes, to Johannesburg in South Africa. And we were traveling all the way up into the northern part of Zambia, closer to the area of the Congo. And we got in a vehicle shortly after I was there, and we said, we're going to drive all the way through Botswana. Uh, and, and I thought, wow, this is incredible. Like, uh, I'm, I'm dead tired, but I can't sleep. And, and just the, the beauty of what God was, was, was putting on display in these various areas. And I can remember coming across this one particular uh, field of sunflowers, like it was a never-ending field of sunflowers. I mean, the, 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 mo the most interaction I think I had with sunflower was sunflower seeds. <laughs> like, I love those on vacation. They keep me awake. And I looked out the window, and it wasn't like it was just one single flower but it was an amassing of a wide arrangement as far as the eye could see of sunflower upon sunflower upon sunflower upon sunflower. And I remember being just taken back thinking, this is something I have never seen before. Chapel members, let's give the community at Cape Girardeau and Jackson by our love and our kindness and our display of the fruits of the Spirit, something they've never seen. People at your work, something they've never seen. Kindness, care, love. In such a way that they would have attributed to someone who is greater than you. And when they say, why are you like this? Oh, the door swings open and you say, let me tell you about someone who changed me. Because I could never do this on my own. Let's open every opportunity and doorway by the work of the Spirit. Let's pray together that we together collectively would be the body of Christ in this area that he calls us to be. Church members, uh, I sit in this auditorium 
at various portions during the week. Right there, that's my prayer spot. <laughs> right in the front, because no one ever sits there. It's the most padded area in the whole building. Okay? See, there's a method to it. I'm not going to sit in some uncomfortable place. I sit there, and I think of this body, and I think so many different ways, and I beg God to do a work in you and in me that we could never do ourselves. So that as you come and as you are working and you are, and you are living out your Christian life, that not only we're just, we don't just belong to the same family, that we are part of this beautiful masterpiece of the household of God, that as you change, that all the glory gets attributed to the Father in heaven and to the Son and to the Spirit who is working in you. Believers, pray for each other. This work is something that is so important because we represent the living God, the beauty and how about this, number three? That in the household, that we commit ourselves to a belief system. It's not just the beautification of the pillar, but here the, the translation uh, of the word in the ESV, the buttress, or the idea of the foundation, I think is how the, uh, the NAS translates, translates it. It has this idea that the pillar, and in all of its beauty, stands and is founded on top of this, this intricately designed foundation. And for the Christian household, it's the truth. And do you notice this, that in our passage, it's the pillar and, 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 and it's the foundation of not just any truth, it has the article, it's the truth. The truth, the truth, the only way, the truth and the life. The Christian community binds themselves to a belief system of the revelation of the Almighty that is given through Genesis to Revelation so that we would not be left to drift amongst ourselves wondering what truth would be, but you can honestly go to the word of God and find out what it is. So that if I don't say something that the truth says, you discard what I say and you embrace what it says. There's a checks and balances in every small group and every Bible study that we're holding ourselves to the interpretation, a right one, of the truth. The truth here is the embodiment of the Christian principles that are found only in the Bible. The truth that can save. No doubt this is expressed in the very idea of pillar that both exist in holding up, and this is what the church of the living God is, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The truth holds the pillar together. The church is this beautification and the embodiment of what it looks like to live out these principles. How else will the world know Paul says, unless someone preaches and tells them about the beauty of Christ. This is no doubt why 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, say this, say this by the Apostle Paul, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Now, just in 1 Corinthians 15, this is so noticeable. According to the Scriptures, there's your truth that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Let's, then he says it again, according to the scriptures. He wasn't say according to whatever you think you want to believe. <laughs> it is according to the scriptures by which the household of God binds themselves to the truth of the moral principles of God, a Christian worldview, a Christian ethics, a Christian beauty that can be found in no other place other than the church and the household of the living God. Don't let that slip by the wayside of your mind. 
that you are part of something larger than you could ever imagine for one sole purpose in your life and mine, to bring glory to the living God who would invest himself in his people. He would show himself. He would reveal himself in the truth so that we could tell the world how great and kind he is. So that we would get all the way to 1 Corinthians 12, so that we would hear these things uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and he would say this, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There is a unification in the body of Christ that we just spent months talking about. It is our duty as believers to live out the principles of God that are embodied in the revelation of God's truth that as we are there in the midst of a culture and a culture that is that is filled with filth that we shine as lights in this darkness so that they see that there is hope that they are not destined to only for the wrath of God but they can be redeemed Christians, let me just say to us who are believers and and commit to this, don't forget the importance of what you get to be part of. This is something pretty special. And the living God designed it. And the living God loves it. And the living God desires for you to be part of it somewhere. Whether here or some other local place, God desires you to have this acceptance, this accountability, this belonging. He wants you to be part of this beautiful masterpiece of what he is doing. But, but very easily, many people, and even church people, can get to the point where they forget the enjoyment of love. And they forget the motive that should drive all of their commitment to the truth. And if you remind yourself, which I will, you don't have to turn there, but if you desire to, uh, Revelation chapter 2, this church of Ephesus was brought back into view again at the very end. And he starts in verse 2, and here's what he says. He says, I, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduringly patient, and patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. If you were part of that church at that moment, you'd be like, yes! But you wouldn't be ready for the statement that was coming. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Lest we go about this efforts of living in the household of the living God, knowing that our behavior, our conduct, represents the living God. Let me just remind you that it's very easy to get enamored by a level of intellect and understanding of the Word of God that you fail to remember the motive that you ought to have it with. So that what you know is influenced by who you love. That is our call as we belong to not just know, 
We can know because he's given us revelation. But you've got to make a choice, and I've got to make a choice, Christian. How will we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves? So that as people see our lives and see the life of the chapel in the household, a representation of the church of the living God, they, that, that this would not be said of us. There are people who are adamant about the truth, but that they've forgotten the love that should motivate it. Christians, this is a call for us to belong together and commit ourselves to living out the truth so that God is glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your incredible kindness and instruction to us in the book of 1 Timothy. That by the work of your son, who so graciously came to sacrifice himself so that we could belong and be an adopted into the family of God. Oh, and you've even blessed us further by giving us local representations of the body of Christ that we can belong and we can use our gifts and our talents to serve you. Lord, guard our hearts. Help us not to become people who just know the truth, but people who are impacted by loving you and loving the truth so that we love one another. Lord, thank you for doing this for us. We ask that you just help us as we move into the time where we take of the Lord's table together. In your name we pray. Amen.